Our first scripture reading for this 16th Sunday of Pentecost is from the prophet Amos, the sixth chapter. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Calnet and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? O oh, you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, stretch themselves out on their couches, eat lambs from the flock, calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We the Holy Gospel from St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said then, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Oh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And we confess in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned in the introduction, there are several lessons to listen to and learn from in this beautiful parable of the rich man and Lazarus that I read just a moment ago. I've noted them in the bulletin, and you may want to add a few additional notes to them. This parable teaches us a few things about riches and poverty, and we'll look at some other ways that Scripture also helps us in that category. Although the parable is not to be all taken literally, 
since it is a parable and it is uh, one of those teachings of Jesus saying something is like, uh, we'd still learn some important things about heaven and hell. And finally, this parable also teaches us about faith and salvation. And above all, how we as God's people acquire that gift of faith and that gift of salvation. This last lesson is really the most important in the whole parable because apart from our faith in Christ and our conversion, uh, we live in a a world of selfishness and self-worship. And that is what puts us in hell. That is the warning that God gives us in His Word. And at the same time, His Word also shows us His forgiveness and His way out of that prison in order that we might rise up in faith to worship God and to serve Him. So the first lesson, riches and poverty. Well, what we do with what God has given to us and His blessings is always a kind of evidence of our faith. Martin Luther once said, if you touch a man's wallet, you touch his heart. Because our material things and our physical life are very near and dear to us. So the parable doesn't explain to us how the rich man got rich or how Lazarus became poor. But we can learn from common sense and also from other examples in the Bible, there are different ways that this can happen. For example, this rich man may have become rich by cheating and robbing. Of course, this is what one of the things God condemns. Or he may have gotten rich by hard work and wisdom. This is something the Bible commends, especially in the book of Proverbs. What about Lazarus? How did he become poor? Well, it may have happened by laziness and bad choices. The Bible talks about that also and condemns it. Or he may have been a victim of one who was cheated and robbed by others. The point is to be made here that there are good and there are bad rich people and there are good and there are bad poor people. How these men got into the situation they were in, we don't know. But Jesus wants us to pay attention to something else more important than that. You see, that's where the world often stops and they worry so much about how people get rich or how people get poor. And then they miss the real main point of what God wants them to know. There are two giveaways to why the rich man would end up in hell and the poor Lazarus end up at the bosom of Abraham. The first is is that this rich man did not lift a finger uh, to help Lazarus. appears that perhaps he didn't even know him hardly at all. And, and the other is that Lazarus, uh, he didn't come pounding on the rich man's door. and He didn't complain and criticize him or, or mock him or anything like that. He didn't try to rob him or steal from him. Uh, Lazarus simply desired uh, the crumbs that fell from this rich man's table. The poor man, if you'll notice in the parable, has a name. We all remember his name well, Lazarus. Uh, That reminds us that people who believe in God, in Jesus, uh, their names are known by God. Jesus says the good shepherd calls his sheep by name, John chapter 10. 
On the other hand, the Bible tells us that those who do not believe, who have not repented, who have not received forgiveness and reconciliation with God, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says to them, I never knew you. And so the parable brings that out. Lazarus's name is known. The rich man's name is not known. And I want you to notice how uh, diametrically different that is from the way of the world around us. Right now, I know that any of us could probably name one or two very rich people. Their names are well known. They're popular. But could we name some really, really poor people? Could we even remember anyone who's really some of the poorest people in the world? They are, by this world, so often the ones who are forgotten, the ones who are anonymous. The rich man and Lazarus are a stark contrast with one another in their riches and in their poverty, but especially in their relationship with God and their lack of relationship with God. Both of them die. And this parable now moves us to another lesson. This is a lesson about the differences between heaven and hell. As we look at Lazarus's faith, uh, we see how death brings an end to his earthly suffering and a, and a beginning to his eternal comforts. The rich man's lack of faith, however, does just the opposite. It ends his earthly comforts and it begins his eternal discomfort, his eternal suffering. I want to pause right there a little bit because that is a doctrine of the Bible that we need to think about carefully. It's very hard to think about that doctrine. I've mentioned it in other sermons, how we can never speak of hell cavalierly, as though it's an of course, or you know, we don't even have to think about it. We actually really need to pause and realize how hard it is to imagine such a terrible uh, uh, eternity for so many people. And the problem here is that we are tempted, and there are many who want to tell us there is no such thing as hell. But I want to show you why there must be a place that God calls hell. It's because sin is not just a matter of certain acts of sin. The problem of sin really has to do with our attitude toward it and our acceptance of it. This is what really determines whether or not we will be in hell or not. You see, sin, God would say, and he does it, say it so many places in the Bible, is hellish. Hellish. Sin is what brings deceit and selfishness, jealousy, bitter envy, and blasphemy. All of these things destroy life. And all of them would, if you think about it, all of them would, and they try, actually, to destroy God. But they're not able to. It is that attitude of sin, that acceptance of sin, that is so damning. And it has to be cut off. There is no realm in which God lives with his blessings that this attitude can be tolerated. And so that is what hell is. It is a realm without God, without his presence, and without any of his blessings. The rich man had all the food and drink on earth that he wanted, and now he craves just one drop of water. 
It also appears that the rich man is alone and suggests to us that hell may also be a place of isolation. On the other hand, Lazarus is at the bosom of Abraham, and it suggests to us that that believers will be with other believers and even be able to recognize them. And just as Lazarus has a name, so Abraham's name is recognized there. The rich man in hell shows no remorse, no repentance. Yes, he cries out because he's uncomfortable, but he doesn't ask God for forgiveness. Those in hell do not repent. And that is why Abraham explains that there has to be this great chasm. There's no passage from either hell into heaven or from heaven into hell. This is also an example of the Bible that shows us that the medieval teaching of purgatory is incorrect. Here, Lazarus dies, and immediately he is at the bosom of Abraham. The repentant thief died on the cross. If there was ever a candidate for purgatory, it would have been him. And yet Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And Paul, who calls himself the chief of sinners, also says at one point, he would rather depart and be with the Lord. There is no changing this final judgment. There is no passage from there to heaven or from heaven to hell. And that is why this last part of the parable is so important. Because it is this matter of faith and salvation that determines where we will spend our eternity. We can't change our condition. And so the rich man tries one more thing. Perhaps Lazarus could be sent back. And this again shows his ignorance of God and his ignorance of God's word. Miracles? God does them, yes. But listening to God's word is something he always teaches is far, far more important. So what is it in that word of God that turns a person to fear, love, and trust in God above all things? Well, there are two words, two categories of his teaching and words that we find in the Bible. The first is that the Bible clearly tells us the hellish condemnation of sin. The fire and brimstone of God, the threats and the warnings of the Lord. Today, many laugh at those, and yet we should be terrorized by them. That's exactly what Jesus said. Do not fear, he said, those who kill the body, but rather fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. That's a lesson that has to be heard, a lesson that has to be taken to heart, a lesson that brings us to despair. And yet at the same time, we also find in the prophets and in Moses and in the Gospels and in the letters of the apostles the call of mercy, the tender forgiveness of God. As Isaiah says, come, let us reason together. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed sin from us. And more importantly and more specifically, even than that, when we read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, we see how it is always moving us toward this one great dramatic act that delivers us from hell. 
You know that Abraham told the rich man there was this great chasm and that nobody could cross that chasm. Nobody could go from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven. But what Abraham didn't tell the rich man is what the rest of the Bible tells us. There is one who did cross. And that one was not just an ordinary man. That man was Jesus, son of God, son of man, born of the Virgin Mary. And the whole Bible drives us toward that event on the cross. Remember there, Jesus, like the rich man, thirsted. Only his pain and suffering was far greater than that of the rich man. The rich man suffered for his own sins, his ignorance of God, his indifference to God and to Lazarus, laying at the gate of his own house. Jesus died for the sins of all people who have ever lived. And that is why we can cross over from the prison of sin to the freedom and the joy and the blessings of at the, being at the bosom of Abraham. This is why we pray, as we did just a few minutes ago in our worship service, the Kyrie prayer. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. This is our sinner's prayer, a prayer for saints who are always struggling against sin and death and the devil, who are always crossing that bridge that was created by the cross of Christ itself to lead us out of the hell of sin to the promises of life. So let God's holy angels, remember the word angel means messenger, let God's angels, whether they are truly angelic or whether they're the human messengers, whoever they are, Moses, the prophets, the apostles, pastors, friends, anyone who shares and teaches to you that word of Christ, the terror of sin and the perfect joy and bliss of forgiveness. Let that lead you in your life to repent, to receive the comfort of God's forgiveness and to seek his help in recognizing the Lazaruses that may be lying at your gate. They may be part of your family, they may be a neighbor. They may be someone as far away as the ends of the earth. But God help us to see them. God help us to help them as God has helped us in his son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Please rise.